Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It is an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Shobhna Narayanan. Shobhna Narayanan holds a B.Tech in Information Technology and an MBA Healthcare and Hospital Management from Coventry University. She has completed the IAM Bangalore Goldman Chashes 10,000 Women Entrepreneurs Program. She is the COO of Chennai Ortho and Spine Center, which is a specialist ortho and spine center located in Chennai. She is in the current governing committee of Fiki Flow Chennai 2022-23. She is a representative associate hospitals and institutions, CAHO, and their faculty in patient safety officers training. Over to you, Shobna. Hello, everyone. The topic for the podcast is Five Moments for Medication Safety. As part of the third World Health Organization's Global Patient Safety Challenge, Medication Without Arm, this patient engagement tool is intended for use by patients, their families, and caregivers with the help of health professionals at all levels. The key moments of action by patient or caregivers can greatly reduce the risk of medication-related harm. Each moment has five critical questions to be answered and reflected upon by patients with the help of their healthcare providers. First, when starting a medication, the patient must ask, find, reflect upon the following questions. What is the name of this medication? What is it for? What are the risks and possible side effects? Is there another way of treating my condition? Have I told my health professional about my allergies and other health conditions? How should I store this medication? Second, when taking a medication, the patient must ask, reflect upon the following questions. When should I take this medication? How should I take the medication? Is there anything related to food and drink that I should know while taking this medication? What should I do if I miss a dose of this medication? What should I do if I have side effects? Third, when adding a medication, the patient must ask, find, reflect upon the following questions. Do I really need any medication? Have I told my health professional about the medications I am already taking? Can this medication interact with my other medications? What should I do if I suspect an interaction? Will I be able to manage multiple medications correctly? Fourth, when reviewing my medication, the patient must ask, find, reflect upon the following questions. Do I keep a list of all my medications? How long should I take each medication? Am I taking any medications I no longer need? Does a health professional check my medications regularly? How often should my medications be reviewed? Fifth, when stopping my medication, the patient must ask, find, reflect upon the following questions. When should I stop each medication? Should any of my medications not be stopped suddenly? What should I do if I run out of medication? If I have to stop my medication due to unwanted effect, where should I report this? What should I do with leftover or expired medication? So, patients must pay attention to these five moments when using medication and the healthcare professionals must support them by answering the questions. Thank you.
Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. We are very happy to welcome our eminent speaker today, Dr. Anna George, who is the head of quality in Aster India. Dr. Anna has more than 15 years of experience in quality and patient safety. She has worked with various hospitals in setting up policies and implementing accreditation standards and patient safety processes. She is trained in NABH, JCI and ACHS standards. Dr. Anna has done her BDS, MHM, PGDMLE, Six Sigma Green Belt and now currently pursuing her PhD in healthcare management from TISS Mumbai. Always wonderful to hear from Dr. Anna and over to you for this podcast. A warm hello to everyone. and i'm happy to speak to you on medication safety as a patient safety goal a medication error is any preventable event that may cause or lead to inappropriate medication use or patient harm while the medication is in control of the healthcare professional patient or consumer we all know the famous saying to err is human and the focus today is to develop systems and processes that limit the chances of human error it is with this perspective that we have the international patient safety goal number 3 which emphasizes the need to implement a process to improve the safety of hyaluronic medications and safe use of concentrated electrolyte hyaluronic medications are those drugs that are involved in a high percentage of errors adverse events or sentinel event they are mostly drugs that have the low therapeutic window which basically means that a small change in the drug dose route or frequency can have adverse outcomes they also include medications that are look alike or sound alike popularly known as lasa drugs essentially meaning drugs which come in similar looking containers or packaging and drugs that have very similar names a warning label to alert the staff prior to dispensing or administration which prompts them to do a double check is a preferred method in most hospitals for look alike and sound alike drugs a color code or a label saying look alike or sound alike prompts the staff to recheck and validate the name of the drug a good method to differentiate sound alike drugs is also the tall man lettering basically the dissimilar part of similar names have to be in tall man or capital letters which catches the attention of the staff and makes it easier to differentiate the names for concentrated electrolytes such as potassium chloride magnesium sulfate 3% saline etc a warning label of please dilute helps to remind the staff of this very important step in drug administration it is important to ensure that these steps are followed throughout the logistics chain and start at the source of origin in the hospital or the healthcare organization this is usually the medical store where the drugs are received from the supplier and stored for further use a complete and updated list of high alert medications look alike and sound alike drugs and concentrated electrolytes must be prepared by the organization to ensure that we follow these rules for all those drugs which come under this criteria a good guide to help prepare this list 
would be the Institute of Safe Medication Practices. Thank you. A warm welcome to all the listeners across the healthcare fraternity to this podcast session, which is a part of the World Patient Safety Day celebration from CAHO. Today, we have a very special speaker, Dr. L. Brito Durai Singh, who is the head of the pharmacy services at Ganga Medical Center and Hospitals Private Limited, Coimbatore, Tamil Nadu. Dr. Brito is a doctor of pharmacy, after which he has completed counseling and psychotherapy, now pursuing doctor of philosophy in antimicrobial stewardship. Dr. Brito has a great interest in process improvement initiatives for making good clinical and financial outcomes in healthcare, and it's always a pleasure to listen to Dr. Brito. Over to you, Dr. Brito, for enlightening session. Hello, everyone. I want to share my uh, points or interest about the importance of prescription appropriateness review and the role of clinical pharmacist. I would recommend the 10 principles to be considered while reviewing the prescription for its appropriateness. Number one, the prescription to be written for the right patient with the right diagnosis. Number two, prescription to be legible with the capital letters. Number three, all parts of the drugs like dose, duration, frequency and everything to be written. Number four, the prescription to be with understandable abbreviation with special instruction or information whenever it's needed. Number five, the prescription should be without duplication since because there are a lot of drugs available in the market with a combination of different NSAIDs and multivitamins. Number six, the prescription based on the evidence and it should be rational and safety. Number seven, the prescription always required to be cost effective so that the patient would complete the complete course of treatment. Number eight, the medication reconciliation to be done on time when you review the patients uh, during your OP visit and that should be reflected into your prescription. Number seven, monitoring or review information to be given for the drugs like warfarin or overchase, certain parameters to be monitored and it should be reflected on your prescription. Number 10, the prescribed medicines or about the treatment plan please communicate with your patients and please do check the level of understanding how effectively they understood about your treatment plan. When I think of the role of clinical pharmacist to review or assess the appropriateness of prescription, they should always consider the 10 principles whatever uh, I have shared along with uh, finding drug-drug interaction and drug-food interaction. It would be always ideal for the clinical pharmacist to discuss with a prescriber to make the necessary changes on the prescription. In the case of making safe and effective prescription without any error, the prescriber must also have an effective partnership with their patient as well as their pharmacist. Thank you. Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It is an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Dr. Narayan Pense. Dr. Narayan Pense is the Vice President of Medical Strategy and Operations and Function Lead for Clinical HIS and Electronic Medical Records at Fortis Healthcare Limited.
He holds a MD in radiology and a master's in public health. He is a principal assessor and lead faculty for NABH Quality Council of India. He is a senior faculty in Kaho. Over to you Dr. Narayan. Hello all. Uh, the topic for today is importance of vendor selection and uh, evaluation. As you would know in today's technologically driven uh, healthcare environment, the old mantra of right product, right place and right time remains very true and contemporary. But now the right supplier is also added to this mantra because the supply relationship, the supply chain management is becoming increasingly critical uh, in healthcare delivery. Uh, we need access to uh, you know drugs consumables medical equipment devices at all points in time on a constant basis to be able to deliver the kind of care that our uh, patients uh, and relatives expect so it is extremely important to have the right vendor uh, associated with you the right vendor or the right supplier so what are some of the things that we need to keep in mind while uh, selecting the appropriate vendor First and foremost, the credentials of the of the vendor, the reputation that the vendor has, uh, and when I say credentials, it means you know there are authorized sales partners or distributors, etc. So we should go uh, only with trusted sources for these equipments because there are clinical decisions which are made based on these uh, you know uh, items like devices and equipments, etc., or drugs and consumables which are directly administered to the uh, patient. Uh, there should be a defined formal process uh, things that could be taken into consideration could include you know the number of years of experience of the of the vendor uh, availability in the uh, you know local area or the region uh, feedback from other user uh, other users or other buyers uh, what is the uh, you know turnover of the uh, of the vendor uh, is there some documentation to prove uh, that the person or the supplier is of uh, you know good uh, experience and can be trusted uh, and also the um, selection after selection the evaluation process should include things like timely delivery uh, whether the estimate that has been given and the material that was promised to be supplied uh, in the purchase order or in the invoice is it uh, you know to uh, the uh, commitment that was made or not uh, equally importantly, uh, you know, post uh, sales service contracts like annual maintenance contracts or comprehensive maintenance contracts, etc., whether they are being honored or not. Uh, in case of an emergency or a sudden, uh, you know, uh, increase in demand, uh, will the vendor be able to, uh, you know, uh, provide us with the requisite supplies uh, or not? These are again very important because hospitals deal with emergencies at all point in time. Uh, as part of a good quality driven system or an accredited hospital it is expected that there are formal po uh, policies and protocols in place for selecting the vendor uh, and uh, post selection evaluating the vendor on a on a regular basis thank you welcome to all the listeners of this podcast which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, a precious gem of CAHO, Ms. Gracie Matai, who is the Chief Executive Officer in Baby Memorial Hospital, Calicut, Kerala. Ms. Gracie has been the NABH Assessor from its inception. She is also a State Chairman in CAHO. Thank you very much for this podcast, Ms. Gracie. 
and now over to you ms gracie matai a leader with great skills and the lovely lady with the sweetest voice today's topic for the podcast is medication reconciliation and self medication safety the need of the hour medication reconciliation means that the medicines the patient should be prescribed match those that are prescribed transition points of care are particularly prone to unintended changes in medication regimes and other medication errors patient care is transferred from one clinician to another a current and accurate list of medicines including reasons for change is given to that clinician some transition points are more prone to error and require special attention like admission to hospital transfer from the emergency department to other care areas like ward intensive care transfer from the intensive care to the ward from the hospital to home or another hospital unintentional changes to patients medicine regimens often happen during hospital admissions and can cause potential harm during a hospital stay or after discharge statistics shows between 10% and 16% of medication histories have at least one error and up to 33% of these errors have the potential to cause patient harm more than 50% of medication errors occur at transition of care patient with one or more medicines missing from their discharge information are 2.3 times more likely to be readmitted to hospital than those with correct information on discharge 85% of discrepancies in medication treatment originate from poor medication history taking matching up medicines can help ensure continuity of care and prevent harm by reducing the opportunity for medication errors this is equally applicable at home as well as hospital the doctors nurses pharmacists and the patients or their relatives are equally responsible for this now let us look into self medication safety self medication is defined as the selection and use of medicine by individual or a member of the individual's family to treat self recognized or self diagnosed conditions or symptoms few benefits have been linked to appropriate self medication among them increased access to medication and relief for the patient the active role of the patient in his own healthcare better use of physician and pharmacist skill and reduced burden of governments due to health expenditure linked to the treatment of minor health condition however potential risk of self medication practices include incorrect self diagnosis delay in seeking medical advice when needed infrequent but severe adverse reaction dangerous drug interactions incorrect manner of administration incorrect dosage incorrect choice of therapy masking of a severe disease and risk of dependence and abuse hence it is advisable to seek medical help before consuming any medications thank you welcome to all the listeners of this podcast which is an initiative of kaho as part of this year's world patient safety day celebrations it's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today dr jose j kuchuparanda Dr. Jose is the Chief Quality Officer and Clinical Pharmacy Advisor, Medzeri, a passionate learner and compassionate healthcare provider with sound knowledge in clinical pharmacy, patient safety and medication therapy management. His recent achievements are he's been awarded a travel grant of $3000 
to attend the ACCP annual conference on September 24th to 27th, 2022 at Baltimore, Maryland, USA. He has been awarded a travel grant of $1000 to attend the ID Week conference on October 19th to 23rd, 2022 at Washington DC, USA. He has been awarded a conference proceedings grant to attend the 38th ICPE by the International Society of Pharmacoepidemiology. He is selected as an Elsevier ambassador for the year 2022-23. Three abstracts which he had co-authored is accepted to be presented at the ISPOR 2022 in Washington DC USA. Over to you Dr. Jose. Hello everyone and I'm very glad to share with you a few thoughts regarding ADRs in a nutshell. First of all, I would like to start with what is an ADR. Before that, the definition of ADE might be quite interesting for all of you. An AD is an injury or harm that occurs in a patient who is taking a medicine and this harm could be attributed as an effect of the drug. That is we are not sure regarding the causal relationship between the drug and the event. Once this causality is confirmed, that is the event is due to the drug and it is confirmed and ADE becomes an ADR. An ADR can be defined as a response to a drug which is noxious and unintended and this response occurs at doses normally used in man for either prophylaxis diagnosis therapy or for modification of a physiologic effect in simple words we can say that an ADR is a reaction that is directly caused by the drug at its normal uses during its normal dose why is it important to report an ADR or an ADE once a new drug or a molecule is been marketed we have very limited information regarding its use in real world scenarios after it has been marketed it's used in real world scenarios that is in patients with multi comorbidities and in mul- patients with multiple concomitant medications so we will get data regarding the long term safety of the drug as well as its effect in this diverse population there are chances for any harm or events to develop during this period so we have to confirm the association between this events and the drug for this we have to report an adr and to confirm this causality so that we can prevent the future injuries so what happens if we are not reporting an adr or an ade we will we will be losing the most important data regarding the safety of the drug and also we cannot prevent further incidents of such adrs how to report an adr in india we have a robust pharmacovigilance system called pvpi that is pharmacovigilance program of india under the aegis of indian pharmacopeia commission so they run the adr monitoring system in india they have an online format as well as a paper format the online or the paper format once the reporting is been done it will go to the nearest adr monitoring center that is the amc and in the adr monitoring center they will assess the causality and this report is sent to who vigi base that is the global pharmacovigilance database through a system called vigi flow who can report an adr anyone can report an adr that's the answer either that be a healthcare provider or a patient or a patient's bystander a healthcare provider it is not necessary that a healthcare provider should be from 
a clinical background a person from an administrative background can also report an adr what are the benefits of adr reporting once the adr has been reported it is documented and it creates a signal to guide future patient care process so once the treating physician observes that there is the incidence of an adr he can divert the treatment or the patient care process based on this report so it is the report is available globally and the treating physicians can take necessary uh, steps to prevent such incidents also we will get valuable information regarding the quality and safety of the pharmaceutical product that has been used thank you that's all regarding adrs Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today Dr. Shivani Juneja Bedi. Dr. Shivani is currently the head of department of clinical pharmacology Fortis Hospital Mahali. She is the AMC coordinator PVPI Fortis Hospital. She holds a professional diploma in clinical research. and professional certificate in pharmacovigilance from Catalyst Clinical Service New Delhi over to you Dr Shivani Hello everyone today i am going to talk about the importance of drug information center drug information center or dic refers to a facility for the provision of drug and drug related information the aim is to provide authentic accurate and relevant drug information to healthcare professionals or consumers independent drug information centers are recognized as a core component of programs promoting rational use of drugs they can be hospital based dic industry based dic or community based dic the objectives of a drug information center are number 1 to provide an organized information on medicines as needed by doctors and nurses on all aspects of therapeutic uses of drugs like dose route frequency adverse drug reactions drug drug interactions drug food interactions second to educate the healthcare workers third to improve upon the prescription appropriateness fourth to promote patient care through rational use of medicines to ensure patient safety a hospital based drug information center performs various activities in the form of answering the in-house call written drug information in the form of emails participate in drug use evaluation coordinate adverse drug reaction reporting publishing a newsletter and drug information center is an important way which could be utilized effectively to prevent medication errors and ensure patient safety in addition to this DIC has an important role in ensuring appropriate use of antimicrobials as WHO defined appropriate use of antimicrobials is the cost effective use of antimicrobials which maximizes clinical therapeutic effect while minimizing both drug related toxicity and the development of antimicrobial resistance hence drug information center plays a crucial role in providing medication related services effectively and efficiently Thank you. Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast 
which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Dr. Pari Valavan Rajavelu. Dr. Pari Valavan is a consultant surgeon at Sundaram Medical Foundation, Chennai. He holds a MS and DNB and he is a fellow of Royal College of Surgeons, Edinburgh. He is passionate about teaching, learning and sharing knowledge and skills necessary for safe patient care. He is the founder of Skills for Med Patient Care Skills Training Center. Over to you, Dr. Pari. Hello, I will be talking to you about the following topic. Medication safety, roles and responsibilities of various stakeholders. The various stakeholders of medication administration process follow the five stages of medication administration. The first stage is prescribing and is done by the clinical error that threatened medication safety at this stage or because of wrong choice of medicines, writing the wrong dose, wrong name and poor handwriting of the clinicians. The first and foremost responsibility of clinicians is rational prescribing. This can be achieved by following evidence-based clinical practice guidelines. Clinicians must write the prescription clearly in capitals, use approved abbreviations, and make sure that the dose and frequency are right. The second stage of medication administration is transcribing. These transcription errors can be eliminated in total if the clinicians write the orders directly in the drug chart and avoid transcription totally. Electronic medical records also help to avoid transcription. The third stage of medication administration is dispensing and it is the responsibility of the pharmacist. The common errors that happen at this stage are dispensing the wrong drug, wrong formulation or placing a wrong label. It is the responsibility of the pharmacist to make sure that they procure the medicines from the right vendor in terms of drug quality, drug pricing and supply. Pharmacists are responsible for maintaining the inventory, making sure that vital medicines are never out of stock, storing the medicines safely and to make sure that the look-alike and sound-alike medicines are stored separately. Extra care should be taken in the storage and dispensing of high-risk and emergency medicines. The fourth stage of administering the medicines is done by the nurses. Unfortunately, more than 50% of medication errors happens at this stage. The five rights of medication administration, namely the right patient, the right drug, the right dose, the right route, and the right time should be followed for each and every medication administration. Every nurse should check these five rights three times before administering a drug. The first check while taking the drug out of storage, the second check while preparing the drug, and the third check while administering the drug to the patient. This is called triple checking and goes a long way in reducing medication error. The final stage is where errors can happen is in the monitoring stage. To avoid monitoring errors, not only must we quickly respond to any adverse reaction, also we should have an evidence-based approach to manage these incidents. Finally, there is yet another stakeholder who is a new kid in the block and 
This stakeholder plays a very important role in reducing medication errors. They are called clinical pharmacists. Clinical pharmacists have an overreaching responsibility as they can play a role in each and every stage of medication administration. So make use of this stakeholder to reduce medication errors in all the stages of medication administration. Thank you. And this is a short rant about the roles and responsibilities about stakeholders who can reduce medication errors and increase medication safety. Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebration. It is an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Dr. Narayan Pense. Dr. Narayan Pense is the Vice President of Medical Strategy and Operations and Function Lead for Clinical HIS and Electronic Medical Records at Fortis Healthcare Limited. He holds a MD in Radiology and a Masters in Public Health. He is a Principal Assessor and Lead Faculty for NABH Quality Council of India. He is a Senior Faculty in CAHO. Over to you, Dr. Narayan. Hello all. Um, the topic for today's uh, podcast is Hospital Formulary, uh, its importance uh, and its use. So, uh, first and foremost, what we need to keep in mind is that the a formulary uh, should not be looked at uh, in isolation. Uh, it is uh, it's a part or a component of the overall medication management system of the hospital. A system which includes selection, uh, procurement, uh, availability, storage, uh, prescription, dispensing, uh, quality assurance and control, uh, and very importantly, medication safety. So a hospital formulary is a, is a part of the overall uh, medication management system. <clears throat> the hospital formulary is a continuously revised compilation of pharmaceutical agents and their forms, etc., and reflects the current clinical judgment of the uh, medical staff. The formulary system uh, is governed by a multidisciplinary committee of the hospital, typically called a pharmacy and therapeutics committee, PTC, or a pharmacotherapeutics committee. Uh, traditionally, the formulary contains a list of medicines or, uh, and consumables which are allowed to be used in the hospital. And the scope of the formulary typically is limited to the inpatients because that is where the hospital itself is uh, is bound to provide good quality, uh, you know, medicines, uh, and also that uh, there is a certain legal liability around it because the medicines are being used and administered in the hospital itself. So why do we need a formulary in the first place? We need a formulary because of the increasing number of new drugs which are manufactured and made available, increasing complexity of side effects or untoward effects of these uh, you know, drugs, particularly high-risk medications, uh, you know, chemotherapeutic agents, etc. Uh, the public interest and awareness is, is growing, newer sales promotion strategies, etc. are coming up uh, and to help the clinicians to prescribe the right group of drug and within that group of drug, the right drug specifically for that patient is prescribed in the correct dosage form and in the right uh, you know, dose. 
so the oversight and guidance uh, is the responsibility of the uh, pharmacy and therapeutics committee and the implementation is usually done by the clinical pharmacist or pharmacologist or the uh, formulary so the aspects which govern the uh, the way a formulary is designed there are three things to keep in mind one is the correct pharmacological treatment second is the quality and safety aspect and third is the criteria for inclusion of a new drug into the formulary so addition or deletion uh, of a drug a new brand or a new formulation of the drug uh, which is allowed in the hospital so as far as making a formulary is concerned and the contents are concerned it should have a brief description of the medication management system uh, it should contain information of hospital policies and procedures around uh, concerning drugs uh, it should include the list of the drugs uh, generic name uh, as well as brand names preferably uh, alphabetically ordered along with the therapeutic class uh it should also include dosage form strength and packaging active ingredients and the adult and the pediatric dose the route of administration and the therapeutic or pharmacological index uh some other additional information like approved abbreviations to be used in the hospital rules for calculating you know dosages based on body weight uh, or body surface area etc should also be part of the uh, formulary any disadvantages or challenges Uh, a formulary well the hospital formulary system uh, sometimes uh, it is perceived that it deprives the physician of the right of prescribing any uh, you know brand that he or she chooses uh, but that's not necessarily true because uh, as part of smart inventory management we can't make all the choices available in the uh, in the hospital so we need to have criteria based inclusion in the formulary Uh, and sometimes people also perceive that it gives too much power to the pharmacist to decide or be the sole judge uh, which ag- again is incorrect as long as there is a multidisciplinary committee uh, to take care of that uh, thank you so much welcome to all the listeners of this podcast which is an initiative of kaho as part of this year's world patient safety day celebrations it's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today dr deepthi madhu dr deepthi is the chief quality officer infection control officer for caritas hospital kottayam kerala she holds a md in microbiology and she is a certified professional in healthcare quality over to you dr deepthi The responsibility that has been assigned to me is the discussion of antimicrobial stewardship. Antimicrobial stewardship is an aspect of medication management and infection control that has been in the limelight for a while now. Let's understand a little bit about this. Stewardship the word means provision of guidance or supervision. And antimicrobials is a group of medications which includes antibacterials antifungals antivirals and protozoals and the helminths and the malarials etc basically the group of medications that are used against microorganisms now put these two words together antimicrobial stewardship is essentially a program that provides guidance or supervision in the use of these medications now where is antimicrobial stewardship applicable for the ease of application or the ease of implementation most hospitals tend to focus on 
IP or inpatient administration of antibiotics. But does that mean that that alone comes under the purview of antimicrobial stewardship? Not so. Wherever antibiotics are used, whether it's for IP patients, OP patients, daycare centers, nursing homes, uh, elder homes, uh, or uh, long-stay facilities, wherever antibiotics are in use, they all require to be brought under the purview of antimicrobial stewardship. So taking it a step further, is antibiotic usage and antimicrobial stewardship restricted to man or humans alone? Not so. Whichever aspect or branch of science or medicine that uses antibiotics, including horticulture, pisciculture, animal husbandry, cattle feed, or veterinary medicine, Whichever of these it may be that uses antibiotics have to be included under the purview of antimicrobial stewardship because what, wherever antibiotics are used, it tends to make its way back into the environment, into the nature that we all form a part of. So for successful antimicrobial stewardship program, all these needs to be brought under the big umbrella of antimicrobial stewardship. Now that we have understood what exactly comes under antimicrobial stewardship. Let us look at the various factors which help in making the antimicrobial stewardship program a success or what are the factors that are integral to the formulation of a successful antimicrobial stewardship program. First and foremost, we need to make sure that the antimicrobial stewardship program is designed or framed around scientific evidence the antimicrobial stewardship policy and the antibiotic policy should be based on scientific evidence for it to gain acceptance. Otherwise, it will be uh, approached with skepticism and there will be non-compliance. So the most important aspect is it should be based on scientific evidence. And the second important part is or important requirement is a strong, robust, reliable diagnostic stewardship because in the absence of good laboratory support in the form of timely and meaningful reports, antimicrobial stewardship as a standalone is likely to fail. So diagnostic stewardship forms a prelude or an important prerequisite to a successful antimicrobial stewardship program. Now, just as important as these points is the goodwill of the governing bodies, because without the support and the involvement of governing bodies, this antimicrobial stewardship program implemented just in standalone hospitals is not likely to have the structural framework that is required for a good implementation. This should be followed with education, education of clinicians and patients. So the important parts of having a successful antimicrobial stewardship program includes goodwill of the governing bodies, a robust diagnostic stewardship program, third is alliance with the core sectors of science and medicine including all the aspects which I have mentioned earlier, scientific or evidence-based policies including antibiotic policy and antimicrobial stewardship policy, clinician education and patient education. Thank you for your patient listening. Hopefully this has made the concept of antimicrobial stewardship a little clearer. Thank you.
Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebrations. It's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Dr. Shweta Prabhakar. Dr. Shweta is currently the Head of Quality and Patient Safety and Head Academics at Fortis Hospital, Mohali, Punjab, India. Over 21 years of experience in medical operations, clinical quality, academic and accreditation in both NABH and JCI standards, as well as hospital management at tertiary care in both public and private sector. She is the academic counselor at IGNOU and the DNB program coordinator at Fortis. She is a NABH assessor for both entry level and full accreditation standards. She is a AHEA certified ACLS BLS instructor. She holds a green belt certification in Lean Six Sigma from Var Sigma Exemplar Global. She is a CAHO GC member and zonal chairman North India. She is also the chairperson of CAHO Student Research Mentoring Program. She is a QuimPro certified level 3 qualitist and a pro expert in problem solving. She functioned as a medical process assurance lead for Pan Fortis and she is also the internal JCI auditor for Fortis and also the regional quality head. She has presented both papers and publications in international and national journals of repute over to you dr shweta greetings for the day in this series of medication safety we are talking about how we can safely use medication without being harming the patients in the hospitals so the topic for this session is a safe narcotic use in hospitals now a controlled or a scheduled drug is one which Uh, whose use and distribution is highly controlled because of its abuse potential or risk narcotics and psychotropic substances they come under the purview of the controlled drug and they are covered under the ndps act where they limit the use of these agents only for the medical purposes narcotic drug as we know it includes all the drug forms of opioids derivatives which include morphine Betadine, fentanyl, sufentanil, which requires a license from the regulatory authority. A psychotropic drug, it is like example of opioid derivatives like pentazosin, tramadol, benzodiazepine. Groups like midazolam, diazepam, alprazolam, etc., are also the controlled substances, and they require a very strict control on the storage and use. but do not require a license from the regulatory authority so narcotics they require a license psychotropic drugs they don't require a license from the regulatory authorities but we all have to understand that all controlled substances are listed as scheduled x under the drug and cosmetic acts of 1940 so a medical institution which has to be recognized for possessing dispensing or selling essential narcotic drugs for medical purposes they have to use form 3f and submit it to the controller of the drugs once they the forms is complete they issue a certificate of recognition and that is form 3g which is issued for a period not exceeding 3 years at a time 
proceeding with the statutory compliances so every recognized medical institution has to designate one or more registered practitioner who shall prescribe or dispense essential narcotics and must have undergone training in pain relief or palliative care for prescribing the essential narcotic drugs for pain relief or palliative care and they must also have a training in opioid substitution therapy for prescription of essential narcotic drugs for the treatment of opioid dependence and drugs so these are two some different aspects which has been very very specifically listed in the act the separate record has to be maintained for each patient and that is known as form 3e wherein you record the details of the patient to whom the essential narcotic drug is dispensed prescribed for narcotics administered and even indented and return slip can be included in that for ease of documentation now all the records of these receipts and disbursements of essential narcotic drugs has to be tabulated in the form 3h and that has to be maintained and preserved for a minimum of period of 2 years from the date of last entry all these uh, documentations they collaborate in a file return like we file a tax return we have to file a file return for a calendar year for narcotics use so it has to be on or before 31st of march for the subsequent year in the form 3i to the controller of the drug even apart from the annual returns you can also have your internal policy of checking on the narcotic use of quarterly or a monthly audits proceeding in the in the statutory compliances is that every recognized medical institution has to submit an estimate of its annual requirement also of essential narcotic drugs in form 3j and that has to be submitted by 30th november of every year of the preceding calendar year to the drug controller so this is about some of the statutory compliances moving towards how we are storing how you should be storing the all the narcotic drugs in a safe environment so that it has to be stored or kept in a double lock cupboard and the key of each lock can be in the custody of the two different persons at all times you can designate either a second set of key can be with the custody of two separate senior management personals also which can include your chief nursing officer or a head admin or a security officer or a medical superintendent as per the hospital uh, profile now storage areas has to be secured and should be accessible only to the designated and the authorized persons proper environmental control which includes proper temperature light humidity conditions of sanitation ventilation segregation has to be maintained wherever these drugs are stored there should be a strict accounting of the narcotic drugs to be maintained all entries in the record should be clear legible and there should be no overwriting or use of writer even in case there is a wrong entry the the best practice is that one should struck off with a single line and countersign it so moving ahead the role of a pharmacist so a designated pharmacist comes in play which is responsible for the storage and maintaining of records of narcotic drugs in the pharmacy or wherever the central area and maintain the appropriate documentation as prescribed in the act strict accounting 
but daily physical verification should be the norm the daily accounting has to be in the form 3h and in addition this is in addition to the stock registers so either this can be combined in that stock register 3h but one has to be very very specific that as prescribed in 3h the accounting should be tabled in that and this is also mandatory for the or the institutions which are even not recognized for uh, having the essential narcotic but they are using the psychotropic drugs so be mindful that you have to record the daily accounting now prescription of the narcotic drug should be written very legible manner should be in capital dose and daily doses form and the frequency route and period of consumption should be mentioned name and address of the patient is mandatory full name and signature with registration number of the prescribing physician is also included now the prescription should shall be given not be given for the use of the prescriber himself be mindful so once it is prescribed it is administered safely by the uh, by the nursing staff and once it is uh, being administered whatever is a wastage has to be recorded in the administration come the uh, maintenance the, the return files and the empty vials has to be returned to the pharmacy so keeping in mind all these aspects of the statutory requirement of the controlled substance and the very controlled environment of storage and controlled environment of administration and even the return is all about is talks about how uh, you can you know Uh, use this narcotics in your hospitals safely so uh, your friends you whosoever is in charge of the narcotic uh, you know area must be complying with the with these particular standards and uh, i hope this would uh, have will give you a very brief overview about the narcotics use the safe narcotic use in the hospitals wishing you a happy learning and safe medication use in your hospital thank you very much welcome to all the listeners of this podcast which is an initiative of kaho as part of this year's world patient safety day celebration we are very happy to welcome a wonderful speaker today dr sonia bhagat who is the group head of quality assurance in ruby hall clinic hospitals pune maharashtra dr sonia has over 11 years of experience in healthcare quality assurance and she has successfully handled more than 20 different nabh audits for the ruby hall clinic hospitals group dr sonia is a consultant in healthcare quality and nabh and is a lifetime kaho member we are very proud to present this voice today and over to you dr sonia bhagat for a very productive session hello everyone my topic for podcast is high alert medication high alert or high risk medications are those which have a heightened risk of causing a significant patient harm when used in error they include medicines with low therapeutic index such as insulin anticoagulants concentrated electrolytes control substances like narcotics and opioids chemotherapeutic agent anesthesia drugs sedatives lookalike sound alike medicines etc such medicines carry a higher risk of adverse outcome well error with these medications are not necessarily more common than with the other medicines but consequences of error with these medicines can be more devastating prescription guidelines for high alert medication 
All prescription of high alert medication shall be written by a qualified doctor and signed with full name, date and time. Prescription should be in capital letter, clearly specifying the name of medication, dosage form, dose and complete directions for use. Include the diagnosis or medications indication in the prescription. Wherever possible, set treatment protocols and order sets shall be used. Units to be written in full. No use of unauthorized abbreviations and trailing zeros in prescription. Verbal order for high alert medicines and LASA drugs shall be limited for emergency situations only. Make readback clarification of verbal order a compulsion. The staff receiving the verbal orders must repeat the order and ensure that they are verified. Procurement guidelines. When procuring such drugs, minimize the availability of multiple medicines, strength, and wherever possible, avoid purchases of medicines with similar packaging and appearance. Storage guidelines. Secure storage of high alert medicines should be ensured in an individual container with only one type of medication per storage container. They should be stored under lock and should not be stored at patient's bedside. All these medicines shall carry a red sticker which should be clearly visible. Use of Tolman lettering to emphasize differences in medications with lookalike and soundalike names. Lhasa medicines shall be stored separately from each other. Wherever possible, try storing such medicines at opposite ends of pharmacy. Dispensing guidelines. Such medicines should be dispensed only against a valid prescription. While dispensing, an independent double check shall be carried out by two pharmacies. Dispensed medicine has to be labeled properly as a high-risk drug with a red sticker. Pharmacists should check the appropriateness of dose for the medicine dispensed. Read medications label carefully at all dispensing stage and perform a triangle check. Triangle check is to check the actual medicines against the medicines label and against the prescription. Administration guidelines. Verify the orders given. Read medications label carefully and perform a triangle check. Independent double check is mandatory by two nurses before administration and same has to be documented. It is a good practice to underline the prescribed high-risk drug with red ink. The nurse should ensure that a correct medication is being administered at the correct time in the prescribed dose by the ordered route and to the correct patient. Barcode medication administration is used if available. The patient and family are informed of any potential significant adverse drug reaction and any other concerns. Thank you. Welcome to all the listeners of this podcast, which is an initiative of CAHO as part of this year's World Patient Safety Day celebrations. It's an honor to welcome our esteemed speaker for today, Dr. Alina Isaac. Dr. Alina is a clinical pharmacist and research fellow in antimicrobial stewardship from Amala Institute of Medical Sciences, Thrissur. Her achievements include, she is a recipient of ID Week Trainee Abstract Travel Award for the travel expenses to ID Week on October 19 to 23, 2022 in Washington, D.C. She received a honorary membership of Society of Infectious Diseases pharmacist for the best de-prescribing initiative presented at the Infectious Diseases Pharmacist Day, May 21, 2022. She also co-authored research publications related to COVID-19 and infectious disease. Over to you, Dr. Alina. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to share my readings and thoughts about medication error. In this non-interactive session, 
we'll be recalling the major types and causes of medication error before we jump into the core let us rewind the definition of a medication error so a medication error is any preventable event that can cause or lead to the inappropriate medication use or patient harm while the medication is in the control of the healthcare provider or the patient so any such event that can be related to the professional practice to the product that is the medication or the system that is the organization and when we think why do we observe so many medication error there are several factors classified under human factors system related factors and medication related factors and the major type of medication error are prescribing error dispensing error and administration error these are the frequently observed major types and the minor ones but it is also as significant as the major types are documentation error commission error intending error and transcription error the prescribing error occurs during the act of prescribing by the doctor this may or may not due to the incorrect diagnosis it also includes the illegible handwriting drug allergy not identified irrational drug choices etc the causes are lack of time training and uh, good number of resources for reference etc dispensing error and this type of error occur as a discrepancy between the prescription and the medication delivered to the patient or his bystander from the pharmacy this also includes dispensing inferior quality of pharmaceutical products and the causes of this error is very much similar to the prescribing errors also includes the miscalculation failure to identify potential drug interaction etc including crowded pharmacy and less number of pharmacists administration error most unidentified but severe type of medication error it occurs when the incorrect drug is administered or when the drug administered is to the incorrect patient it also include wrong patient wrong route wrong dose wrong drug or wrong time etc and the major causes is lack of time knowledge lack of perceived risk etc and this is all about the medication error in brief